You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, David and Sarah. Thank you, Ricky, Josh, Amy, everyone, worship team, everyone who has participated this morning. And I am so delighted that you are here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Say that everywhere you go today in the grocery store. Say it really loud. Just see how many Christians there are in there. That's the way Christians used to identify one another, as David said earlier today. Well, I want to ask you on this Easter morning, do you like happy endings or do you prefer stories, books, movies that are more realistic? I like happy endings. I really do. Uh, They are increasingly difficult to find, though. There seems to be less and less hope for happy endings just amongst people in general. One of the ways that we know we are in trouble as a society is that we have lost our sense of humor. Nothing's funny anymore. You can't be funny. You're in trouble if you are. Um, We have lost our hope that things will never, uh, that things will ever end well. Everyone is serious We're cynical, expecting things to go badly. Several, or just a couple of years ago, I attended a conference in the heart of New York City. I was looking for salsa, you know, New York City, uh, when I, I, which I was assigned to participate in uh, a small group of 16 people who were together all day. We went Friday night for a dinner, Saturday night for dinner, but all day Saturday, we had four different sessions being facilitated by college professors. And we had been assigned readings from Cicero in ancient Rome to Brothers Karamazov and Dostoevsky to biblical, biblical uh, approaches to social issues, essays uh, on those biblical approaches to social is- issues. And there was a sweet lady in, uh, in my group named Mary who had spoken up off and on through the day. And at the end of the day, she said something like, I've been talking to Hollywood about some of my books. And of course, I'm thinking, well, I don't know who you are for sure. But, and they, she said, they told me, Mary, your stories are too wholesome. They don't speak to the children who are reading them. They uh, are too idealistic. And they don't, these people, these children who are reading your books come from broken homes and difficult situations. And then Mary said, I told them that books are not meant to be mirrors, but doors through which new realities are discovered. And I thought, wow, I want to, I want to talk to her after this last session. So I went to her and asked her, is that your quote or another? And we sat and talked for about 15 minutes discussing this quote and several other Topics, And she told me that the quote was not hers, but that she really liked it. It, it was from Fran Leibowitz uh, in New York, who would have a lot of different opinions than Mary, for sure, on social issue. It turns out that the Mary 
with whom I was talking and who was in my group was Mary Pope Osborne, the author of the Magic Treehouse series. So what about the resurrection of Jesus? Is it a make-believe story that allows weak-minded individuals to cope with a disappointing world? Or is there a possibility that Jesus truly did rise from the dead? If it is true that Jesus was raised from the dead, then that changes everything. If the resurrection of Jesus is not true, then our own resurrection is nowhere near assured. In fact, it's not going to happen. I love what, what Ricky said today, that when the sun burns out, Grayson will still be alive. But that's not true if Jesus' resurrection is not true. And as we learned in 1 Corinthians 15, those of us who believe in a resurrection that is not really going to happen are to be, of all people, most pitied. A lot is at stake. It is not okay to live as though it is cute to believe in the resurrection at times and then jettison such beliefs when it is inconvenient to believe. It it's one or the other. Which way are you going? Today's text, which is the entire chapter of Matthew 28, will give us time to process the reports from the first Easter and then consider what is at stake some two millennia later. So to begin our time in the Word, I'm going to read Matthew 28, 1 through 10. It's our custom to stand as the Scripture is being read. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly. And tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see, see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up. And took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated. And when you think about it, the events of the first Easter are not recalled in a conspiracy-worthy, first-rate conspiracy-worthy manner. 
This is not intended to deceive anyone. Early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices, according to Mark 16. It is every young woman's dream to be known as the other Mary, wouldn't you think? I would think think so, but this Mary is likely the mother of James and Joseph of Matthew 27, verses 56 and 61. And she was one of the first to be told, he has risen. I would be happy to be the other Brad, to be in a circumstance like that. Both Marys had watched Jesus die. And both had seen where he was buried, having sat opposite the tomb, mourning the loss of their Lord As Jeffrey Gibbs said in describing that day that Jesus was crucified, the Marys see what has happened, and they will see where Jesus is buried. Only on Easter, however, will their seeing become sight. If in the first century you were going to create a false narrative that would become a conspiracy of lies to create and or sustain a cult, you would not use women to be the initial observers of the event that is so remarkable it's never happened before. The testimony of women was not legally binding. So if you were going to lie about this, you would have wanted men. It was the same same thing was true at Jesus' birth. Who heard the, 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 the news, first of all, that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem? Shepherds. The, the, the testimony of shepherds was not admissible in court. The testimony of women was not legally binding. Because, so if you were going to, to, to make up a story, you could do better than they did. When the women reached the tomb, there was nothing to see. Or there was everything to see. It was evident that something had happened. The stone was rolled away from the tomb because of an earthquake, most likely caused by the angel. And and most likely, when they come to the tomb, their eyes are immediately drawn to the angel sitting on top of the stone that had been rolled away to expose an empty tomb. His appearance was brilliant, almost blinding, you get the sense. And then... Taking stock, they they may have noticed the Roman soldiers (laughs) lying on the ground as if they were dead. And at some point, or all at once, they realized the tomb was uncovered. And there didn't seem to be anyone or anything in the tomb. And then a remarkable thing happened. The women were invited into the tomb to verify that it was empty. Do not be afraid, the angel said, thankfully. (laughs) For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Almost every time... An angel addressed a human being. The first words out of his mouth were, do not be afraid. Helpful words. We would all. Can you imagine if an angel appeared here? 
in all his glory, we would be scared to death until he said, do not be afraid. This past week, Allison and I watched a short uh, video featuring a discussion about the resurrection with Tim and Kathy Keller. And when you think about Jesus' resurrected body, they were saying, uh, he wasn't confined by material obstacles. He would suddenly appear, his resurrected body, he would suddenly appear in a locked room. His grave clothes had been unwound. They were in the place where he had laid. He just came right out of the clothes. And the stone on the tomb was not a hindrance to Jesus leaving the tomb. So, the Keller speculated, the stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let us in to see proof that he had risen from the dead. From our time in 1 Corinthians 15, we recall that Jesus appeared to his half-brother James, who was likely an unbeliever at the time Jesus appeared to him. As far as we know, that's the case. That was not the pattern, though, of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. Almost all appearances were to believers, but at least some believers had strong evidence that Jesus had left the grave such as the soldiers and the chief priest, whom we will talk about soon. So let's think about this for a moment, about see if we discern a pattern in God's ways. In fact, you begin, the more you stay in Scripture, the more you will discern patterns of the ways that the Lord works in the world and in our lives individually. God reveals himself to mankind in several ways through creation, through a desire that is within us for justice, through coincidences that cannot be explained apart from some spiritual realm operating in this world that we live, in which we live, uh, through our consciences, lots of ways that that God reveals himself generally to us. But then he reveals himself more specially or specifically or more completely, through Scripture and through Jesus. Does everyone have knowledge or have access to the knowledge of Jesus? Sadly, no. Everyone sees creation. So Scripture says we are all without excuse. But not everyone has access to the knowledge of Jesus. And and the end of the chapter is going to address this reality. Does everyone who knows about Jesus, believed that he truly was God in the flesh and that he was raised from the dead. Again, sadly, no. But the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is substantial and more than enough to support belief. God gives more than enough evidence for belief, but it is only after we believe that all the pieces fall into place. The angel invited the women into the tomb to see where Jesus was no longer held by death. And after a quick look, they obeyed what the angel had told them, and they took off as fast as they can to find the disciples. As they were going, they were still probably shaking with fear. But there was joy in their hearts as well. I'm sure they were trying to process, was this real? We're not hallucinating 
Are we? I mean, they haven't invented hallucinogens. Well, yeah, I'm sure there were hallucinogens. Are we hallucinating? Is, did we see a vision? What's going on? And before they could get very far, Jesus appeared to them offering a hearty, Hello! That's what greetings. Hello! Mary, the other Mary. <laughs> now, now they knew that the good news or the news that was too good to be true was indeed really true. They fell at his feet and worshiped the spirit's foot. That's not what it says, is it? They grabbed the resurrected feet of the body of Christ. He was real. This was Jesus' body. Jesus' resurrected body. Jesus also told the women to go and tell the disciples that he had risen. The women went quickly to the disciples and told them that they had seen the risen Lord. And one of the disciples said something like, well, now we all know Mary here. We all know the other Mary. We, we, if they say they saw Jesus, we believe him. That's not what they said. Luke 24 tells us that it seemed like an idle tale to the disciples. Why? Because they didn't trust the Marys? No, they didn't trust the testimony of women in general. And here is another pattern in scripture that we see. Jesus broke the social norms and elevated the status of women by giving them assignments of the highest importance. In this case, tell the disciples that Jesus has risen. Whether you are male or female, no matter what your status in life is, if you're intimidated to witness to others about Jesus because who would believe little old me? Then might I say that God delights in doing the unexpected through unexpected means? Just tell what you know. You belong to the risen Savior. The disciples' refusal to believe the women caused them to miss a wonderful blessing in their message from Jesus. Jesus had said, go and tell my brothers. By calling the disciples his brothers. Well, Craig Blumberg says it beautifully. Quote, not only does Jesus show himself as still loving and accepting those who had abandoned him. But he even treats them as equals. In other words, they remain laborers with him in the work of the Father. Jesus is neither denying his uniqueness nor deifying the disciples. But he is portraying the church as a brotherhood that manifests more equality than hierarchy. Even if some functional <clears throat> differentiation between leaders and followers is clear from other Scriptures, the examples given in 1 Peter 5 and Hebrews 13. Close quote. While the women were going to tell the good news to the disciples, the chief priests were trying 
to squash the news by bribing the soldiers. They had a vested interest in suppressing the truth. Power. Should this word get out, they would lose their power, having affected the crucifixion of the Messiah. Verses 11 through 15. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole away, stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. These soldiers were in big, big trouble. The penalty for allowing something or someone to be stolen on your watch was death. No questions asked. But the religious leaders would go to any lengths to keep the possibility of Jesus' resurrection from going public. So they bribed Roman officials as well as the soldiers. And the campaign was evidently successful for many years to come. So why did it have to be this way? I mean, why didn't Jesus just walk into the middle of the temple, walk into the middle of the Sanhedrin meeting and say, do you believe now I'm God? I don't know. I don't know. That's God's business. Why he does it that way. Perhaps it's because he puts such an emphasis on faith. It surely is not a slam dunk that all who hear the gospel will believe. Although it seems to be a slam dunk that at least some will not ever believe. Even when the evidence for truth is overwhelming. How much better it is that we believe and live for the purposes to which the Lord has called us. Verses 16 to 20. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We know that Jesus appeared to the disciples in Jerusalem. This command twice today, go to Galilee, was finally fulfilled. We know that on Easter Sunday, that evening, would have been the beginning of Monday, into the evening of Sunday, Jesus appeared to the disciples. He did so again in Jerusalem. But eventually, they would find their way to Galilee. So this late Matthew 28 encounter would have been a few weeks beyond uh, the resurrection, probably around the events, sometime around the events that are recorded in John 21, where 
Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Feed my sheep. You likely think of the Great Commission coming somewhere in Jerusalem, but this encounter happened in Galilee. Now, we know there was another commission of sorts uh, just before Jesus ascended back to heaven on the Mount of Olives. But this Great Commission, what we know is a Great Commission happened in Galilee. When they saw Jesus, some worshipped and some doubted. Now, this is not likely the kind of doubt that you hear so much about today where people are walking away from the faith or reconstruct, deconstructing their faith. This was, am I really seeing this? Is this? It feels too good to be true. He's right here in front of us. Really, is it true? So here's the question. Were only the 11 apostles on hand or were there more disciples who had followed Jesus closely. You know, there was a group of anywhere from 70 to 120 disciples that went almost everywhere Jesus went. The the 11, the 12 before Judas had a special place and the 11 had a special place after uh, Judas betrayed Jesus. But here, it's almost certainly that this is a much larger group than the 11. Now, some of them are probably at a distance, and I don't know, maybe Jesus' resurrected body, we know it's going to be different a little bit, again, from our study in 1 Corinthians 15. It's going to be made for heaven. It's going to be glorified. So maybe there was something that was a little bit different, but some were just not sure. They wanted to believe their eyes, but they weren't sure. When Jesus told them that all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him, he was putting to rest any doubt that any of them might have had about his divinity. I'm God, he said. And they were in awe. And so were we. Since other followers of Jesus were likely on the scene, in some senses, we stand with them as we hear from Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Going in this verse is assumed. In the Greek, it could read, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. Do not put the full emphasis on go. It's really on make disciples. But do not put too little emphasis on go either. We are to go and make disciples of all nations. Making disciples is our job, but we do it in the power and authority of the name of Jesus. When we baptize believers, we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus gave the disciples his name on that day, it was the first time the full name of God had ever been expressed His Yahweh, his Jehovah, his El Shaddai, he is God Almighty. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
a trinity. Our purpose statement at Grace is exalt the Lord, establish believers, engage the world with the gospel. If you wanted to, you could derive a statement from this passage alone. Worship, spiritual growth, evangelism. It's all here. I often hear believers say, I just don't know how unbelievers get through this life without Jesus, especially when you go through a difficult time, as some of you have gone through an extremely difficult time of loss this week. How do you get by if you don't know the Lord? I don't know. You do somehow. Your eyes adjust to the darkness and And then others say, it's just so clear to me. Why can't everybody believe in Jesus? Now, let's see. Wait, weren't you the one two weeks ago that didn't believe? And you thought it was silly, but now you believe. How is it that not everyone believes? We're blind before we come to faith in Christ. Sometimes we are willfully blind, like the high priest. Sometimes we're confused, like the gospel, like the disciples who thought that perhaps the gospel was too good to be true. And is that really Jesus standing there? And sometimes we just need to be told the good news by those who know the Lord. So if you're here and you do not know Jesus, what a perfect day to surrender your life to him. He's king. And You need to acknowledge him as king of your life, that he died for you, that he took your place, and that your sins are forgiven when you call out to him and ask for forgiveness and trust Jesus. For those of you who do believe, may this day of hope bring you joy that defies your circumstances. Because life's not good for some of us these days. A lot of hard things have come along. N.T. Wright puts it this way. The knowledge of the resurrection calls us to live as Sunday people in a world full of Fridays. That doesn't mean... We're better than those who don't believe. Just means that we have been redeemed. And we have been redeemed for a purpose. First to glorify God with our lives as well as our words. Then to live in community with other believers as we please him with our love for one another. And as we collectively point to Christ. And finally, we are called to share this good news with the world. It is not up to us to win the world for Christ, but it is up to us to share the good news that Christ is risen. And so we end as we began. He is risen. Amen. Let's pray. We're going to be through a little bit early, so parents of children...
in the back. You may want to give them just a little bit of time uh, before you go to collect them at 1015. Father, the beautiful thing about this good news is that it never gets old. And perhaps that is because so much is at stake. We pray that our hearts would always be tuned to you and that it would be, as they say, ever Easter in our hearts, ever Resurrection Sunday, even those Sundays when we remember the body and blood of Christ at the Lord's table. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the death that was willingly received on our behalf. And the resurrection that is joyfully celebrated on our behalf. Father, make us Sunday people. Year in and year out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.